You are listening to Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, with your host, Randy Sutton. Hello, this is Randy Sutton, retired police lieutenant, the author of A Cop's Life, and the founder of The Wounded Blue, the national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers. We are here on the America Out Loud Network, and this is the voice for American law enforcement. Lots of stuff happening in law enforcement, as you know. There's headlines every single day about some of the madness that's taking place across the country. Um, unfortunately, some of the the uh, headlines um, are are about violence and and uh, crime that is out of control in cities across the United States, and the question of course is why so let's get let's start talking about some of the some of the stories that i want to i want to talk about today first of all breaking news breaking news i was just um uh, given this news report uh breaking news phoenix officer shot by gunman this is just from several hours ago a 22 year old phoenix police officer is fighting for his life after being shot multiple times early tuesday morning the attack occurred near Camelback Road and 15th Avenue shortly after 2 a.m. on December 14th. Officers had been called to the area to, to a report of a car doing donuts nearby, Phoenix Police Chief Jerry Williams told reporters. They were searching an apartment complex when someone opened fire on at least one of the officers, hitting him multiple times. Additional officers were quickly able to apprehend the gunman, and no officers returned fire during the attack. The wounded officer was rushed to St. Joseph's Hospital and Medical Center, where he is fighting for his life. She identified him as 22-year-old Phoenix police officer Tyler Moldovan. The young officer recently began patrolling on his own and has been with the department for only 18 months. Chief Williams said medical personnel are doing everything they can to save the officer's life. The suspect's identity has not been released. The attacks on law enforcement officers continue almost daily. The number of officers killed this year, or have died in the line of duty, I should say, that includes those who have been murdered in the line of duty, is standing today at 448. It's 448 Law enforcement officers have given their lives in the line of duty this year so far. Last year, the entire year, only saw the deaths of, and unfortunately it was a record-breaking year, 384. Um, so when you, when you see news like this, where an, another police officer has been shot in the line of duty, um, it, is, it is devastating news for all of law enforcement. And um, I wish you would join me and um, us here at the Wounded Blue uh, to send our thoughts and prayers to this officer and his family. Let's talk about some more um, current news. Uh, as we have seen, um, homicides around the country have risen dramatically. Now, I want to talk about 
something in Indiana that recently took place. This is uh, from the Indianapolis Star. After Indianapolis smashes homicide record, FOP, that's the Fraternal Order of Police President, proposes law changes. The majority of the proposals look to strengthen bail-related laws. So let's talk about this for a moment. The liberal policymakers across the country, beginning in New York a couple years ago, spreading to California, uh, Minnesota, a number of other places, the word bail reform has become like a rallying cry of the left. What does it mean, bail reform? Now, the purpose of bail, once a, a subject is arrested, they are given the option of either, depending on the, on the level of the crime, they may be given a what they call an own recognizance um, release, which means, like this is for very minor offenses, generally, usually. In the real world um, of law enforcement and the courts, um, up until just a couple years ago, you only got out on your own recognizance for, for very minor crimes, misdemeanors usually. Now, what the left has put into place, this began with uh, Andrew Cuomo and, uh, and his buddy at the, in the mayor's office uh, uh, in, in New York City, de Blasio. They rallied for what they call bail reform. In essence, what bail reform means is you can commit any crime you want um, in the name of social justice, we're just gonna let you go. And that's what really bail reform in reality truly, truly is. Now we have seen the results of this devastating the cities where this is taking place. New York City, for instance, immediately when they passed this, this new bail reform experiment, if you will, which has now become the law of the land, the number of, of crimes committed by the same individual over and over and over again has just ripped the city's crime rate apart. It's huge. Uh, even even uh, to this, uh, just a couple days ago, it was widely publicized that uh, that some some creep set fire to the tree in front of the Fox Studios. Did five hundred thousand dollars worth of damage? Well, guess what? Because of bail reform, they just let him out on the street, no bail. So this is what's happening across the country. Bail reform is literally no consequence, giving no consequences to violent criminals to commit more and more crime. That's what it, that's the reality of what bail reform is. So let's talk about this, this story in Indianapolis. The Indianapolis Police Union president, who by the way has been on this show several times, is calling for numerous changes to the state's criminal justice laws in the wake of the city logging its bloodiest year in history and as the Indiana General Assembly is set to reconvene next month. FOP President Rick Snyder in a news conference presented over 10 recommendations he plans to take forth to state lawmakers. Snyder was joined by Reverend Charles Harrison of the Ten Point Coalition, a local anti-violence group. The President, uh, Rick Snyder, speaks during a press conference 
uh, in a week, and the majority of the proposals took aim at bail-related laws that Snyder contends too often allow violent offenders to re-enter the streets. This is, this is a fight that is taking place across America. This is a fight that affects every single one of us. Because if there are no consequences to crime, then what do we expect is going to happen? And we're seeing this as it manifests itself across the United States. The smash and grab robberies that are, that are taking place in, uh, in, in California, San Francisco, Oakland, Los Angeles, New York City, Chicago, uh, Minnesota, we're seeing this, I call them mass criminality events, because that is what they truly are. Let's talk about this for just a second. The mainstream media has been referring to these mass criminality events as, and I quote, retail thefts, unquote, shoplifting. They aren't. They are felony crimes. You see, a shoplifting is when someone walks into a store. This is what we would think of as shoplifting. Um, hides some some items in their in their coat and surreptitiously walks out. And generally, that shoplifting is a misdemeanor crime. Well, let's talk about the the insanity of California for a moment. Which, which, of course, also includes the, quote, bail reform, unquote. In a stunning um, defeat of common sense, the state lawmakers of California snuck a big one past the voters. They, they named this, this um, vote that they took, um, uh, they, they, they had some, some weird name, like Safe Streets or something, whatever they called it, this issue. And really what it was, they, they raised the bar um, from um, a, a lower amount, I think it was $300 or $350. And if you stole anything less than $350, it was a misdemeanor crime. If you stole anything that was over that amount, I may be wrong on the amount, maybe $300, you would be charged with a felony crime, grand larceny. Now, what they did in California was they, they snuck this in and they changed the value from now on, and this has been happening across California, they, it's now $950. Think of this, $950, anything below that is a misdemeanor crime. That means maybe you get a ticket and, and off you go. So let me put this in perspective for you. I decide that I'm going to take advantage of this, of this ludicrous change in the law. I can go to a series of stores and just go down the line. And as long as I'm stealing less than $950, I can steal $949 worth of items. It's a misdemeanor. And I can do this all the way down the street because every one of those crimes is a singular misdemeanor crime. Well, the criminals know this 
And they are, they have organized, they have organized um, criminal enterprises that just take advantage of this. And they are ripping these stores apart. They're stealing millions of dollars worth of items over extended periods of time. And, and the criminal enterprises, they're, they're no dummies. They know exactly what they're doing. In many cases, they will actually send juveniles into these stores to commit these thefts, then turn, they turn, in fact, turn the items, the stolen items over to the organization, and then they fence them and sell them, sell them on the internet and make millions upon millions of dollars. So you have the state of California basically being complicit in the, in the thefts that are taking place all over the state. And I'm just talking about the, the, the simple thefts, the retail thefts. That's where they go in and they, they load up and they leave, okay? That's not involving confrontations. That's not involving weapons. That's just going in there and, and ripping these stores off. Now, what is, what is the results of this? You're seeing in, in San Francisco, um, drug stores like Walgreens are simply fleeing the city. They're closing the doors, not just Walgreens, but many other chain stores and privately owned enterprises as well. They simply cannot take the loss any longer. And, and here's, the, here's the, 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 the truth about this. The state government is doing nothing to help them. The local government is doing nothing to help them. The city governments who are in charge of funding the police and prosecuting the criminals are doing nothing to help. Instead, they are simply allowing this, this to take place over and over and over again. And it is destroying these, these businesses who are the ones who are employing the people in the neighborhoods, serving the neighborhoods. If, if, if Walgreens closes its doors in blocks of areas of, say, San Francisco or Oakland, well, who is, who is really paying the price for this? It's the people who live in these cities and these areas, these neighborhoods. The government is failing the people. And the government, when I say that, is the state legislators and lawmakers who enact these insane laws. And then you have the mayors and the city councils who do nothing to protect the people of their cities. Then we're going to get into district attorneys because district attorneys, this is a whole nother part of the problem. So Indianapolis, I really, I really want to say thank you to the FOP, the Fraternal Order of Police, for taking a stand and now trying to push forth common sense legislation to change some of these insane laws like, quote, bail reform. All right, bail reform. Just the term itself sounds really innocuous, doesn't it? And yet it has a major, major effect on criminality across the United States. Now, I want to take just a, a, quick, a quick break here for a second. And I want to tell you about 
uh, product that law enforcement and people who are can, who should be concerned about their privacy should listen to. There's a, a retired law enforcement officer, and he is he's a he's a techie. All right, he's a tech guy. A friend of mine, Pete James, and Pete created a company called uh, OfficerPrivacy.com. OfficerPrivacy.com. Because what has been happening across the nation is um, cops have been getting doxxed. They've had their identities, their homes revealed in, in, on the internet from groups that want to harm them. And, and this is really a concern now. Well, uh, officerprivacy.com is something that every law enforcement officer, active or retired, ought to really take a look at. He makes it uh, very affordable to get those records off of the internet to keep your family safe and to keep the people around you safe. Check it out, officerprivacy.com, officerprivacy.com. All right, now let's get back to let's get back to the news here. I want to talk to you about about um, some of the some of the insane changes that we have seen over the last I'm going to say last seven or eight years. Now we began seeing a sea change in law enforcement after the riots in Ferguson under the Obama administration. That's where I first began seeing what has now turned into a surge of anti-law enforcement rhetoric, thought processes, social media, etc. So let, I, let, I want to go back to there because I want to give some historical perspective. Now, the Ferguson incident occurred when a... Um, a Ferguson police officer heard a report of a robbery at a, at a store. He made a stop on the suspect and that suspect who was with another individual, big guy, attacked the officer, tried to wrest the gun, his weapon from him and um, and the gun went off in the police cars. They're wrestling over the gun. And then the officer uh, tried to take the individual into custody. I don't even want to mention his name because I don't want to, I don't want to honor him in any way. You know who he is. I don't even want to talk about him because, because it disgusts me the way he's been, he's been like claimed to be a martyr, but he attacked the officer. The officer uh, fired his weapon and killed the suspect. Now, it was, of course, it was the officer was white, the suspect was black, and that began the incredible false narrative lie of Ferguson. And you'll know what I'm referring to. Hands up, don't shoot. This, this shooting was investigated by every conceivable investigative organization that exists in law enforcement, okay? The, the police department did an investigation. The district attorney's office did an investigation. The state attorney did an investigation. The FBI, the DOJ, you name it, this was investigated. And you know what? The officer was exonerated. The officer did exactly what he was legally obligated to do in saving his own life when he fired his weapon. 
Now, somehow, the other individual who was involved in this came out with a story, the story of that the individual who was shot was simply retreating and he has and he said hands up don't shoot and this rallying cry has been part of the myth of systemic police racism in this country ever since ferguson burned people died as a result riots that took place not just in ferguson but across the nation all because of the great lie of ferguson and that began the sea change that turned many, many people against their law enforcement officers. I saw it happening. I witnessed it. I tried to play a role in trying to tell the truth about the real narrative. Uh, but the mainstream media, who was very, very complicit and part of this, this, uh, this false narrative, the, the, the great lie, played it over and over and over again. Now, if you aren't attuned to the law enforcement community and, and you're, you're, a, you're a, 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 a citizen and you're listening to the normal news that you would see on ABC, NBC, CNN, whatever, whatever your local news, doesn't matter. If all you hear is this story about hands up, don't shoot. And you're getting fed a narrative that this racist police officer gunned down this, this innocent man. What are you going to believe? If you can only, you can only make determinations about what you believe in from the information that you're given. And this is why it's so critical to have a show like this one where you're going to get the truth about the law enforcement community. And believe me, I don't, I, I spent 34 years as a cop. I'm not sugarcoating anything. And I'm not going to stand, sit here and tell you that there isn't, that there isn't a problem out there occasionally with, with people who uh, wear a badge and commit misconduct. It happens. There's little less than a million police officers about 800,000 or so in this entire nation to police 300 and what, 35 million people. That's not really a lot of folks, right? But you have, say, 800,000, 850,000. You're going to have people that, A, shouldn't be wearing the badge because they aren't doing it for the right reasons. Or get perverted along the way and lose their way and commit acts of misconduct. Maybe some do uh, um, have racial biases that affect their job. So let's, let's not, I'm not going to paint you a picture that, that, that issues don't come up. Of course they do. And you know, here's the, here's the, here's the, the reality is that any good cop wants nothing to do with a bad cop, right? Because when a, when a bad cop surfaces, it affects everybody that wears the badge or has worn the badge. So policing ourselves is critical to accomplishing the mission. And this is done day in day. Um, officers are, are 
constantly um, getting involved in incidents where if they believe that there is misconduct occurring in their agency, they report it. Now, is, is, is it an easy thing to do? Hell no, it's not. But it's the necessary thing to do. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, that the issues don't arise. They do. But Ferguson wasn't one of them. Ferguson, the officer acted exactly the way he should have acted, and yet it still tore this country apart and created a, created a narrative that, that today still reverberates across the law enforcement community. It's very, very damaging. So I want to get back to where I was going with this because I kind of go off on a tangent every now and then because I'm very, very passionate about this. Law enforcement officers across this nation care deeply about the communities that they serve. And so when I hear the false narrative that comes out and, and plays on social media or, or plays out there in, in, in the general public from, from the mainstream media, um, it, it, I, it disturbs me. And so that is, that is why this show actually exists, so that you can get the truth about the American law enforcement officer. So I want to talk to you about activist prosecutors. It's all part and parcel of what we're seeing across the nation with the, with the, with the um, robberies, I call them the mass criminality events that are taking place in major cities across the United States. They've been getting a lot of attention, but somehow many in the media are still calling it or referring to these robberies as shopliftings or retail thefts. And this is very, very dangerous because when you minimize what these crimes actually are, then you don't allow the reality to set in and the effect that it has on the victims, on the, uh, on the communities where these are taking place. And until we come to terms with this and really decide we've had enough of it, you're going to continue to see this take place. Now, I want to talk to you about activist district attorneys because this is a major part of the challenges facing not just the police, not just law enforcement, but all of you who are in these cities across America. We began seeing also around the time that Obama was in office. Now, I'm not, I, I don't want to really get into the political D versus R stuff, but I, I, have, to, I have to be perfectly upfront. And under the Obama administration is where we really saw anti-law enforcement laws enacted, policies enacted. Um, Obama himself made, made some really negative comments about policing that he had to walk back on occasion because his bias against law enforcement was very, very apparent. It was at that time that the Obama administration actually took life-saving equipment away from law enforcement, all because of what happened in Ferguson, where they, they decried the, quote, militarization of policing. 
So what we began seeing this under the Obama administration, and that's when we started seeing money being filtered into district attorney races, prosecutors' races across the country. Much of this money, much of this money came from George Soros-funded organizations. George Soros is a multi-multi-billionaire who has absolutely no respect for the American law enforcement community at all and wants to tear down the entire criminal justice system. And I got to tell you, he's been pretty damn effective by pouring money into district attorney and prosecutorial races across the country. Where am I talking about? I'm talking about Chicago. I'm talking about uh, New York. I'm talking about Philadelphia. I'm talking about San Francisco. I'm talking about Los Angeles. All of these major cities, even, even in Texas, has seen a huge amount of resources and money put into the coffers of district attorneys who get elected on the platform, and I love this term, criminal justice reform. Are we seeing a pattern here? Bail reform, criminal justice reform, it's not reform. It's a war against the criminal justice system from within. And these district attorneys that have been placed into power are quite literally the Trojan horses that are tearing the criminal justice system apart. You are seeing in these cities crime at a absolutely incredible rate, violent crime. Murders are, are through the roof across America. Violence, the, 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 the body count is rising even as I'm talking to you right now. And the district attorneys who are, are charged with keeping the, their community safe by prosecuting criminality and prosecuting those criminals are simply not doing it. And they're doing, they're, they're in, the, in the name of social justice, which is absolutely absurd because who's getting victimized by, by this mass criminality? It's the people who live in the cities. And very often, the same people who these prosecutors claim and these city leaders claim to want to help, they are hurting more and more and more because the people who are now being underserved by the criminal justice system are the very people that these prosecutors and city leaders claim to care so much about. Let's look at, let's look at, at some of these cities and let's look at their results. There is actually, there are two recall, um, uh, potential recalls taking place right now in California. One is in San Francisco, Chesa Bowden, who is the, is the district attorney prosecutor there in, in San Francisco. And um, in case you don't, you're not familiar with Chesa Bowden, both of his parents were convicted murderer terrorists who killed many people. And he himself was raised in that world, the world of terrorism and radicalism. And he, is, he gets elected 
based on a ton of money that was put into his, his, um, his coffers. Now, let's go down to Los Angeles, where George Gascon, the district attorney there, both of these now are facing recall efforts. And I pray that they are successful because we have seen the surge in violence, in criminality, in, in, in the body count that has just gone incredibly crazy in these cities. And they are not being held to account by the city leaders. Look at Portland, Oregon. My God, that, that city, I was just there. I, I was there working with some Portland police officers because the morale on that agency is literally in the toilet. The cops there um, are, are leaving in droves as they are in many other, in many other uh, cities where we're seeing this, this, um, this surge of anti-law enforcement um, efforts. But Portland, the city's unrecognizable to what it was, say, five years ago. You go downtown, it looks like Beirut. It really does. It's, it's so sad to see what it was once a beautiful city has now become boarded up, spray paint everywhere, homeless encampments all over the streets. It's outrageous what they have allowed. And still, the city leadership is, is failing the people failing the people who live there. And you're just now starting to see a little bit of change. They have now decided that they are going to refund the police department. But you know what? The damage has already been done. It will take years, years to undo the damage that has been done. That's We'll get into that another time because I still want to talk about district attorneys and how critical it is that all of us who, who care about our communities get involved and, and don't uh, avoid the voting booth when it comes down to local elections. Get to know who these candidates are. Get to understand what they stand for. Because even though the rhetoric may sound, oh, wow, you know, this, uh, they're, they're saying the right words, what they really mean in the terms of the Larry Krasners of Philadelphia, which has seen the largest murder increase in history this year because one of the, the, the reasons is because of, quote, bail reform and Krasner's lack of uh, competence and ability or desire to prosecute criminals. We're seeing that in Los Angeles. We're seeing it in San Francisco. We're seeing it in, in cities across the country. So this is going to take you and me and the people that we love and the people that we know to get involved and, and say enough is enough. You know, Healthy Cell is a terrific lineup of products. They have products that are pill-free, gel-packed vitamins, uh, looking for better sleep, focus, and energy, check out Healthy Cell, the leading innovator in nutritional supplements for cell health. Healthy Cell has a product that helps REM sleep, helps you fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM sleep supplement. 
the only sleep supplement that's designed to support all stages of sleep. And boy, is it needed now during all the stress of the COVID-19 pandemic. So go to HealthyCell.com and use the code OUTLOUD, all capital letters, OUTLOUD, for a 20% off your first order of any product from Healthy Cell. I use them every day. I believe in them. And you should too. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Because of COVID-19, many Americans worry about their health four times a day. That's 112 times per month. But by simply keeping our immune system strong, we can stay healthy and put our worries at ease. One little known way to do this is by taking AC11, a patented supplement from a plant in the Amazon rainforest. Studied for over 20 years and backed by over 40 scientific peer-reviewed studies, taking AC11 has been proven to extend the life of immune cells called leukocytes, allowing you to boost immunity naturally. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of AC11. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. There was a time when Americans could rely on the fourth estate. Well, in these challenging times, the media is both reckless and complicit. AmericaOutloud.com. Top analysis from leading experts, articles, podcasts, video, and 24-7 talk radio. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Is there a light at the end of the tunnel? I actually believe that there is. I want to talk to you about a case that recently um, was adjudicated. Now, one of the things that, that, that I've seen and it is so disturbing is these same prosecutors who refuse to prosecute gang members and violent offenders and gun charges, those same district attorneys, what they want to do is prosecute cops. And this, I've never seen anything like this, but we have now seen a actual movement by district attorneys to, instead of, instead of prosecuting hardened criminals, they want to go after cops. I want to talk to you about a situation that just resolved last week. I'm going to read the headline. Ex-La Mesa police officer found not guilty a falsifying, falsifying report and controversial arrest. The May 27, 2020 arrest fueled protests that same weekend that ended in a riot as looters took advantage of the tension. Former La Mesa Police Department officer, whose controversial arrest of a black man set off protests for racial justice last spring has been found not guilty of falsifying a police report. The trial for ex-officer Matthew Dages came to an end Friday when the jury acquitted him of all charges. Minutes after leaving court, Dages could be seen hugging loved ones and celebrating with family. The charges stem from the on-camera social media 
May 27th, arrest of Amori Johnson, which was widely shared on social media. In this video, Dejas is seen approaching Johnson as, as the man waited for his friends to pick him up near the Grossmont Trolley Station. Bystander footage of the confrontation captured the tension as things escalated. Dejas is then seen pushing Johnson down before arresting him for resisting and assaulted, assaulting an officer. That coupled with the murder of George Floyd fueled protests in La Mesa that weekend. All right, and we give you a little more, little more context to this. Matthew Dages was investigated by the police department after this incident. Use of force investigations are done at a, at a level within a police agency. Internal affairs may be doing the investigation depending on the size or in the scope of the, um, of the incident and also of the, the, the personnel that the police department has. It may be a, it may be a use of force board, but there's different uh, investigative um, uh, kind of efforts that take place in every police department whenever a use of force is done. Matthew Dages was investigated and cleared by the police department for the use of force in arresting Johnson. That should have been the end of it, but it wasn't. And I'm gonna tell you the real story because it's shocking. So the, the arrest takes place, there's you know 20 seconds of video, and we all know that's all that, that is needed these days to incite violence and riots, and that's exactly what happened in La Mesa, and the city burned. The police were hamstrung by the city government, not allowed to stop the riots. And so the city was destroyed in many areas. The city government council went to Matthew Dages after this happened and said to him, we want you to, we want you to resign and we're going to give you and the amount was reported as $600,000. We're gonna give you $600,000 to just go away and resign. Matthew Dages, because he is a committed law enforcement officer, said to the city council, I'm not going anywhere. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not gonna take your bribe money, which is exactly what it was, and go, and go off into the night. So you know what the city did? This is, this is mind-boggling. Mind-boggling for anybody that cares about justice, about fairness. The city went out and, and paid, I think, $75,000 of taxpayers' money to hire a private firm to, quote, investigate the use of force and, of course, give them the result that they wanted. So this private firm came back with a report and said, Matthew Davis' use of force was improper and, and the report that he did, we don't like what, the way he worded it and, and we think that, that he falsified the report. That's all the city government needed. They fired him and then they brought in the San Diego District Attorney's Office to prosecute him for falsifying a police report. This is stunning 
This is, this is quite literally a David and Goliath story. We have this young police officer dedicated to the job who did nothing wrong. You have the entire city government and now the county district attorney lining up to destroy his life, destroy his life. And for two years, this young man and his wife had their lives turned upside down. I reported on this. I met Matthew Dages several times. I met his wife. I talked to them. I looked at the reports. I look. I've, I've rarely seen such injustice directed to a member of the law enforcement community, but injustice it was. Now, Matthew Dages had had to literally fight for his, for his life because they were going to send him to prison. If they convicted him on this garbage charge of falsifying a police report, they would have put him in prison. People aren't going to prison in California for, for, for anything anymore, but they want to put him in prison. They want to put cops in prison. The, the trial happened, and this trial was a debacle. The district attorney who, who prosecuted this case should be disbarred. What this prosecutor said about this officer is it was, it was absolutely false, claiming he's a racist, that he was, I mean... He made this guy sound like he was, the, he was the KKK personified in a police uniform. And it simply wasn't true. And then, and, and Amari Johnson, the guy who he arrested, even actually, was when he, when he gave his testimony, he actually, he actually ex basically exonerated the, the officer right there by his own testimony. See, the officer wasn't lying. He didn't falsify anything. He simply made an arrest that was a legitimate arrest. And because of social, the new social norm, the new anti-law enforcement world that is, that is, that is um, surging across America, destroying the lives of cops across the country, Matthew Dages stood fast, stood firm, stood his ground went into, into debt to defend his good name, to defend his honor, to defend his life. Towards the end of the trial, the district attorney realized things ain't going so well. So in, in an absolute, um, I, I just, I mean, I don't even, don't even have the words. He tried to add some additional charges onto, onto what they were charging him with. And I got to say, the judge, this was one no-nonsense judge. He, he called it out the way it, it, it actually was. And he told, that, he told that district attorney that this was bordering on prosecutorial misconduct. In my estimation, it didn't border on prosecutorial misconduct. It was. And I hope now that, so the jury... The jury saw through the whole thing. The jury saw through the whole thing. And this is why I'm, I'm believing that we're starting to see 
some light at the end of the tunnel. Because juries are now going, wait a minute, why are they prosecuting this police officer? And this is, this is the second case in just weeks where a police officer was found not guilty because the officer was not guilty. So now Matthew Davis and his wife are left to pick up the pieces of you know, their shattered life. And, and I got to tell you, I, I sat across the table from Matthew and his wife. And the hurt, this is, this is just prior to the, to the trial. Imagine, imagine being an innocent cop, only caring about your community and taking the risks that a cop takes every single day and then having your own city turn on you, your district attorney turn on you, and of course, hear your name dragged through the mud on every single level in the media, on the social media. You know, it takes a strong, strong person to withstand that. Matthew Dages is that person, as is his wife, Christina. And now, now it's time for a little judicial payback, if you will. I hope that the lawsuits come fast and furious from the, from the city council who tried to bribe him to go away to the attorneys who committed misconduct in trying to prosecute him. So I'm hoping that we're going to see the same thing take place. There is a high-profile trial taking place right now in uh, Minnesota where um, Kim Potter is being tried for the shooting death of Dante Wright. Kim Potter is the former Brooklyn Center police officer. Highly charged case that, that, um, that, was high, that is highly publicized. Remember this. She is the officer. She, has, she is a veteran officer who uh, was trying to arrest Dante Wright, who was a felony suspect, in his car. It's all captured on body-worn camera where she, had, she thought, and it's very clear from the video, that this is that her thought process was that she was using her taser to try and take him into custody. But in a, in a horrible, tragic accident, she pulled her service weapon instead and yelled, taser, 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 as they, their training is before deploying a taser, and then shot the suspect, killing him. It, the, the, the body cam video is chilling to watch. But it's very clear that this was an accident. And yet, just as is happening across the nation, the district attorney is trying to prosecute for the felony crime of manslaughter. This woman, this police officer's life is ruined. Her career is ruined. Her, her, her finances are ruined. And they want to put her in prison. And this, unfortunately, is part of the pattern that we're seeing across the country. This pattern of failure to prosecute criminals, but a desire to prosecute cops. It is my desire and my hope that the jury in this case 
also sees the truth for what it is and has the courage to say, mm -mm. I'm looking for a not guilty vote on this because this officer has done nothing with intent. It was a tragic, tragic accident. And that's what civil trials, trials are for. Now, the only, the only kind of justice I see here is, you know, the, the city's going to pay out for a wrongful death. There's no doubt about it, or they may have already. But here's the interesting part. Several victims of Dante Wright's violent criminal past have now come forth and have sued the estate. Now that is a little poetic justice, if nothing else. The victims coming back and suing the estate of the man who violated them. Hmm, interesting. Um, couple things I want to talk about before I go into our end of watch segment. Uh, if you like this shirt, this is the t-shirt for the Wounded Blue. I'm the founder of the organization. We are the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement Officers. This entire team of men and women who serve as peer advocate support team members for the Wounded Blue are all officers who have been shot, stabbed, beaten, run over, faced the psychological traumas of those injuries and still continue to serve the men and women that they stood with for years, their brothers and sisters in law enforcement. This uh, organization has been uh, actively uh, engaging in helping these officers for about two and a half years. To date, we have helped more than 13,000 American law enforcement officers. I urge you to go to our website, thewoundedblue.org, see who we are, see what we do, go to the shop, and grab a t-shirt like this, because they are pretty cool, or a mug or a hat or something. Donate if you can. We're doing an amazing Christmas Wounded Blue effort. We've identified 10 families of injured and disabled officers who are in need. We're going to give each of those officers' families $1,000. We can really use your help. Go to thewoundedblue.org. I end each show with End of Watch. End of watch is where I tell you the officers who have been killed or died in the line of duty. First is Deputy Sheriff Clay Livingston, Elbert County Sheriff's Office, Colorado. Deputy Sheriff Clay Livingston died from complications as a result of contracting COVID-19 in the line of duty. Deputy Livingston was a United States Marine Corps veteran. He had served with the Elbert County Sheriff's Office for two years, was assigned to the patrol division. He is survived by his wife and two young children. Deputy Sheriff Clay Livingston, Elbert County Sheriff's Office, Colorado. End of watch, Friday, December 3rd, 2021. Police Officer Richard Houston II, Mesquite Police Department, Texas. Police Officer Richard Houston was shot and killed while responding to a disturbance in the parking lot of a grocery store on Beltline Road. During the investigation, a man produced a gun and opened fire on Officer Houston at about 1.40 p.m. Both Officer Houston and the subject were critically wounded in the exchange of gunfire. Officer Houston was transported to a local hospital where he succumbed to his injuries. He has served with the Mesquite Police Department for 21 years. He is survived by his wife, two daughters, and one son. Police Officer Richard Houston II, Mesquite Police Department, Texas. End of watch, Friday, December 3rd, 2021. Corrections Officer Robert Daniel, Graves County Jail, Kentucky. 
Corrections Officer Robert Daniel was killed when a large tornado struck a building he was working in while supervising inmates on work release. He was supervising seven inmates who were participating in the work release program at the Candle Factory. A large tornado had tracked over 200 miles across multiple states. Officer Daniels and numerous factory employees were killed when the building collapsed. Dozens of people in multiple states were killed. Corrections Officer Robert Daniel, Graves County Jail, Kentucky, end of watch, Friday, December 10th. Detective Joseph Polk, Douglas County Sheriff's Office, Colorado. Detective Joseph Polk died from complications as a result of contracting COVID-19 while assigned to the impact team that was involved in the arrest and detention of several suspects. One of the suspects tested positive. He served with the Sheriff's Office for 19 years, survived by his wife and three children. <coughs> Detective Joseph Pollock, Douglas County Sheriff's Office, Colorado, end of watch Thursday, December 9th, 2021. Each of these officers died in the line of duty, protecting and serving. Let's send our thoughts and prayers to their families and may they rest in peace. We've come to the end of this episode of The Voice for American Law Enforcement. I am your host, Randy Sutton. You can find me on Facebook at The Voice for American Law Enforcement on Facebook. You can contact me if you want to help the Wounded Blue. Randy at thewoundedblue.org. That's Randy at thewoundedblue.org. And I urge you to do this. You see a cop, just tell them thanks. They really appreciate it. I'm Randy Sutton. Stay safe. One, eleven, one, ten.